Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? You're here, and we're finally, we can get started, all right? There's like, it's weird because there's like very few people in the in the middle, so. But then there's like on the edges. That's all right. We like people that live on the edge. That's good. All right, so uh, welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. We are so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, how many of you guys, this is your first time back since we've been back in the building? Yeah, just a few of you guys. Yep, so. Um, so we're excited to be back in the building, worshiping together. We had a great service last Sunday, uh, two services last Sunday. We'll be having another two services today. Uh, we have a special treat. We have one of our own uh, who is in seminary now, who is coming to preach for us this morning. His name is Grayson Caudell. Grew up here in the youth ministry, and, um, and it, it, I think it's incredible. So um, I've, he I've heard a lot of churches um, that, you know, they count their success by how many people attend their services and everything, but I heard back a few years ago, don't count your success in church by how many people that you have coming, count your success in church by how many people you send. And so we want to, you know, if we're going to reach the next generation like we're talking about, uh, then we're going to have to grow up some leaders, some people who are going to be missionaries, Sunday school teachers, people that are going to be disciple makers, people that are going to be pastors, uh, and, and people that are going to ministry. And so I love hearing Grayson's heart. I got to spend a lot of time with him at summer camp last year. He come and helped us uh, with our students at summer camp. And so I love hearing his story. Um, and there's plenty of, of great stories that I'm going to keep to myself. So, because uh, we like to cut up a little bit. Um, so anyway, uh, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for this service, but there is something uh, that I want to call to your attention. We've got a couple meetings tonight that involve the youth ministry, uh, and then we've got one that involves the whole church. Now, I mentioned this when I was preaching last Sunday about this church-wide outreach that we're going to be able to do. And when I say church-wide, that means we, if you're breathing and you can hear what I'm saying right now, we need you. Okay, so first and foremost, I'm going to talk about we got a student leadership team meeting. You'll see that in your bulletin. We have an adult leadership team meeting for youth ministry this, this evening. Uh, but then at 5 p.m. is our church-wide uh, church outreach meeting. We're doing what's called a judgment house. Now, with schools being digital only, online only right now, with churches, a lot of churches still not meeting in person, Listen, this fall, there's not going to be fall festivals, there's not going to be haunted houses, there's not going to be a lot of things for families to do. The Lord has op opened up an opportunity for us. We started praying about this back in May. I was looking over the emails this morning. Back in May, we started praying about the idea of doing a walkthrough judgment house at the North Campus. Well, we've since transitioned that to a drive-through experience using the FM transmitters that we've already done the outside uh, services here with. Um, and so things have come together. Michael Jones has creatively come up with some great ideas, and we're going to do it. We're moving forward. We've decided no matter what, we're doing it forward, but we need everyone's help. There's actors and actresses. There's people that are pray, pray, praying and prayer walking. There's people that are uh, help serve some drinks to our people that are serving it. There's some people in the heaven scene that are just waving and smiling and welcoming people to heaven. And there's some other scenes we'll tell you about those this evening. So I, I want to ask you, because this is such an important event, because this has such a huge, uh, there's so much huge imp implications for what can happen in our community through this event, 
I just simply, I don't want to say, hey, if you feel led to, I would really like to ask you, will you come? Will everybody come? Will you, will you please? And, and if there's some people that you know that are not here, will you come this evening and hear about where you could fit in? So uh, I'm going to open this up in prayer. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to open this up in prayer. And let's, let's, let's welcome the Holy Spirit in here today. Amen? Amen. We're not gathering just together just because it's us. We're not gathering just to, you know, to be social and to, you know, try to do the right thing. Listen, we need to gather in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, us as a church, as the ecclesia, as we talked about last week, together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we come to you in the name above all names. And we ask you, Lord, to come and be in this place, God. We've all come with different expectations but God, you've come with your expectation, and we want that to rule. God, we came with certain things in our heart, and there's things that you want to change in our hearts today. So God, through your word, through your messenger, through the worship, through the singing, through the gathering, God, we ask you to come and have your way here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's stand together this morning. I pray that right now your central focus will only be on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That you can just for the next hour or so uh, turn off all distractions, kind of kind of clear all the clutter from your mind and from your heart, and let the Holy Spirit work and speak to you and uh, just draw you closer into His presence this this morning. darkness open my eyes let me see beauty that made this heart adore you hope of a life spent with you here I am to worship here I am to bow down here I am to say Oh. 
to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. Psalm 63. It says, God, you are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My heart faints for you in a dry and in a desolate land. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. And at your name, I will lift up my hands. You satisfy me and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Sealed by heavy storm, Messiah still and all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever.
Father, what an amazing gift you have given us in salvation, and what an awesome hope and promise we have that we will spend eternity with you someday. Father, as we think about Judgment House and the plans that set up for that and how we get the opportunity to display this amazing story of your salvation, of what it's going to be for those who follow you um, after this life and what it is going to be for folks who do not follow you after this life. God, I pray that with urgency, we can declare your truth, share the gospel, the good news that you've entrusted us with. Because, God, it is the thing that has changed us. It's the thing that gives us hope. And, Father, it's where we find our true identity in you. Father, right now, I pray over Grayson. I thank you so much for the word you've given him today. I pray that you'll prepare our hearts to hear that message. And that you'll be honored and glorified in it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. amazing i apologize about that by the way um so thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to be here this morning um, i grew up here my name is grayson caldell uh, i went to high school 15 minutes down the road 
And I have so many memories of this place and just all the times that I grew up with my friends and learning more about who God is and being filled up by the Holy Spirit in this place. I mean, there's so much that I have to give to this church that I've just been so appreciative. Um, So I went to Liberty University up in Lynchburg, Virginia. I graduated this past spring with a degree in pastoral leadership. Um, I just got engaged a couple of months ago to my fiance. We're getting married in April, and life is fast-paced, and I wouldn't have it any other way. So this morning, before I get started, I'll be in Romans 6. Um, I'd like to pray and just open up our time in that way. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for such a time that we get to have together to open your word, to see what you have for us. Um, I thank you for this time. I pray that you give us peace and understanding. And I pray that when we read what this word says, that we don't use bias, that we take it for what it's worth and what Paul wrote it as. I pray that we use it and apply it to our life um, because it says in this passage that we will reap sanctification through this passage if we do what it says. So I pray that we do that. I pray that we see fruit from what your word has to say to us this morning. So I pray that in your name. Amen. Romans 6 verses 1 says, what should we say then? So Paul, he asked this question of the reader. And in chapter 5 verse 20 he says, the law came along to multiply the trespass. But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. So then Paul asked this question, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin, since a person who has died is free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all time. But the life he lived, he lived to God. So you too consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But thank God that also you used to be slaves of sin. You obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, 
So now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results into sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification, and the outcome is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. I, this passage, honestly, as I've been looking at it for the past month, just digging into it and seeing what it says, it's been one of those things that has really made me think about my life and my walk with the Lord. Um, Paul presents two lives here. You either have a life to sin, and you're enslaved to sin, or you're enslaved to righteousness. And there's no other life you can live. You either are actively living in your faith, or you're actively living in sin. Um, and Paul makes that pretty clear. Um, but in verse 2, I'd like to start there, when he says, How can we who died to sin still live in it? He, he says, What should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? And it reminded me of this time when I was at a prayer night uh, for Young Life, and I had to drive back to Liberty. And Liberty University has a curfew at 12 o'clock at midnight. And we left this prayer night at about 11.15 a.m. And I knew that I had to get back. And I was like, oh, man, we're going to be late or I'm going to get fined. Um, so we get in my car. We all pile in. There's like five of us in my little four-door sedan. And we start driving, and I put the car in about 80 miles an hour in cruise control. Not, not a wise idea. Don't do that. Um, and I start driving, and we're about 15 minutes down the road, and I pass a state trooper. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is not happening. And he just stays there. I was like, oh, that's, that's nice. Thanks, God. That's a good, good luck for me. So I keep going. I keep driving 80 miles an hour, driving down the road. And I'm like, all right, we're good, we're good. And I pass another one, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like awful. And he stayed. He stayed right in his little hideaway spot. I guess I wasn't the one. And so I keep driving. I'm like, all right, we're definitely good. I'm not getting pulled over. I could go as fast as I wanted to, and that'd be fine. So we keep driving, and of course, my wise youthfulness comes out, and we pass a third state trooper. And this one decides to pull out and pull me over and give me a nice ticket. I see that, and um, we see that in this verse it says, Should we continue in sin so grace may multiply? I didn't continue speeding to show my friends that these cops were trying to be nice and gracious to me for not pulling out and giving me a ticket for which is what I deserved. I sped because I wanted to get home and not get fined. And when Paul asks this question, Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? We see that, like, we shouldn't just sin just to show how good God is because that isn't what we're called to do. And that's what Paul's addressing. That's why he says with by no means or absolutely not, how can we who have died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We see that when we, we died to sin when we were saved, when we were deemed righteous, we are called to not live in sin. We cannot live in sin. It's impossible. It says so right here. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? So if we are still living in a lifestyle of sin, that's obviously something Paul is trying to warn these people. He's trying to say, like, you cannot live a life of sin and live a life with Christ. That's, that's what he's saying. 
So, my first point is, it is impossible to live a life of sin and a life of righteousness at the same time. So, we see that throughout verses 2 through 9, Paul uses this illustration of baptism, talking about how when we are raised to newness of life, and how when we, are, when we die to sin, just as Jesus died on the cross for us, and how when we are raised to new life, just as Jesus raised from the dead, it says, Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we may too walk in newness of life, just as Jesus came from the resurrection. So we see that Paul defines baptism as something symbolic, just as we do here at church. Um, he says it's a symbolic expression of physical faith. When we are baptized, it's a symbol that we have gone from death to life, just as Jesus did in this passage. Jesus' resurrection was a physical bodily one, but our resurrection was a spiritual one. We don't have to physically die, obviously. We spiritually die. We die to our old selves and our old desires. We live a new life when we come to know the Lord and we place our faith in Him. And we pursue God with all we have in faith. Our faith isn't passive. We don't live a passive life. We live an active faith. We live that in everything that we do. And I love the way that he correlates baptism with the way that we are saved, the way that we come to newness of life. I think it's a perfect picture, and Paul does such a great job of that. When he explains, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so we may no longer be enslaved to sin. And he uses this verbiage talking about slavery and how we are enslaved to sin and enslaved to righteousness. And when we get to verse 15, I'll explain um, the parts that talk about how slavery is different than American slavery back in olden days. But I think when Paul mentions uh, a death to sin, this isn't the first time he's mentioned it. In Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life which I now live, I live in the... In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Colossians 3.5 Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. He uses this example often within Scripture. This is like Paul's main thesis. If he could get one sentence out, I, I imagine he would, he would just give you chapter 6. I think it's the most important book in, chap, in Romans, and it's the centerpiece of the whole chapter. So he says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died... He died to sin once for all time, but the life he lived, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves to, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So the first thing I get from verses 9 and 10 is that Christ's death was perfect. He doesn't have to die again for us. His death was perfect. He only needed to die one time. His blood was perfect for us. We see that Paul, yet again, always finds an opportunity to share the gospel. I think that's something for me that really was highlighted for me when I was looking through this passage. Paul always found a time to share the gospel. It wasn't just whenever he felt like it. It was his goal. It was an active mission for him. 
That's what he always wanted to do. He always wanted to share the gospel with whoever it might be, whether it be with some high king or whether it would be some random guy on the street. Paul always wanted to share the gospel. And it makes me wonder, do I think like that? Do I? Am I willing to go out and just share the gospel with whoever? Or am I afraid of what they'll think of me? Am I scared of, am I good enough to do that? And I think, like, Paul never questions that. Paul knows that God will be there for him. And we should too. So therefore, don't let sin reign in your body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. But as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. This is how we're to deal with sin. Paul states it clearly. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't get near it. It's infectious. It's contagious. And it's, it leads to death. It's one of the, it is the worst thing you could have anywhere near you. And Paul says, we, sh- we should have nothing to do with it. We should not live lifestyles of sin. Obviously, when we come to know Christ, sin is still a reality that we have to live with. But that does not mean it is our lifestyle. People don't know us for the sin that we live in. It is a, there's a difference between living a lifestyle of sin and making a mistake. Um, and Paul is addressing that with the Romans here. For sin will not rule over you, because you're not under law but under grace. Since we have grace, since we accepted Christ into our heart, we have grace. And that doesn't mean we get to abuse grace, which is what Paul is going to get to next. But we also have to live that life and know that balance of, hey, I know I'm imperfect, but I know God is perfect through me. And I know that He will, through the Holy Spirit, work in me. So then in verse 15 it says, What then should we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? So Paul uses the imagery of slavery. And I know sometimes as Americans we see what we have in our past, but slavery in the olden days was not similar to what slavery is in our American culture. Our American culture has tainted what slavery looked like. Slavery was obviously very wrong in our culture. But in olden days, it was a way of life. It was something that people would do. They would, they would sign their life away for 10 years just so they could make ends meet for their families. It was an occupation. Um, so when he says, don't you know that if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? And then he compares it to either you're obeying sin or you're obeying righteousness. Um, this, this two life that he, the two lives that he keeps comparing. Are we living in sin or are we living in righteousness? So Paul uses this analogy to show that everyone is a slave to something. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. He then translates how we lived before our conversion and explains that in the same way that we lived as slaves to sin, we should live with that same reckless abandon we did while being a slave to sin and live a life where we are a slave to righteousness. So then we see in verse 17, But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. 
For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. So when we live a life enslaved to righteousness, we will be able to grow with God. We will see the fruits of that. So we see after salvation, we are set free from the bondage of sin in verses 22 and 23. But now since you have been set free from sin, since we have died from it, we have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God because that's what happens when we come to know the Lord. We are enslaved to God. We, we don't just get to choose when and where we want to live for the Lord. We are called to live in that faith and we are called to do it all the time. But now since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit. When we live with God, we have that fruit. We get to see the fruits of the Spirit that come out of our life, which results in sanctification. And the outcome is eternal life. We get to spend eternity with God. I mean, what, what is better than that? There's nothing better than that. We get to spend eternity with the one who loves us and created us and gives us joy on earth. And I think that's one of the most beautiful pictures we have in Scripture. And then he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We see that this... He, he ends it with this two ways of life. And he says that the wages of sin is death. You, you, you get death from living a life of sin. When we make that a lifestyle, when we choose sin over what God has for us, we, we will end up reaping death. But he also says that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that means we get to spend eternal life with him when we choose him. So we see after salvation, we are set free from the bondage of sin. We are not bound by sin because of the great work of the cross. We are deemed righteous by God, and we get to live in that truth. So my final thought is, so what do we do with all of this? How do we go about living these two lives that we get to see that we've all encountered? Because before we were saved, we've all lived this life of sin. We all chose to live that life. We all chose to go our own way. So what do we do? And then I think Paul, he, asked, he pretty much asked one question. What are we a slave to? Are we a slave to what we live in? Are we a slave to what we choose? Are we a slave to the life that we want to live for ourselves and our selfish gains? Are we, are we a slave to God? Are we slaving away for the work that God has put out in front of us? And for me, sometimes I find myself really stumbling in that thought because that's a tall task. It isn't an easy task for us to slave away for the Lord. I mean, in our culture today, our, it seems that like everything is against what we believe in. Yet, we have a time where Paul, who's being persecuted time and time again, says, what are you a slave to? Are you a slave to sin? Are you a slave to what you want to be? Or are you a slave to Christ? Are you really working out that faith that James tells us to do? So, my final point is, what are you a slave to? Is sin really rampant in your life? Does it really take control of your day? Paul shows us what that leads us towards. It leads us to death and separation from God and from the joy that, ever, that we get to experience here on earth. We get no joy from living this life without God. If sin is something that you feel you are still a slave to, you can escape that. It isn't something that has to hold you down forever. I know sin can be one of the most hard things to overcome, whether that's personal sin or public sin. Things are, I mean, 
sin is just a very hard thing to do, and you're not alone. Everyone stumbles, everybody falls. But there is, there is hope. There is hope in Christ, and that since He died on the cross for our sins, there's grace for that. And I want you guys to know that Christ loves you, and that we get to live in Him. So, are we faithfully pursuing the Lord, or is it simply a name tag that we give to ourselves? Is our faith something that we really get joy from, or are we living a life that leads us straight to death, like Paul says? Because if that's the case, there's hope. There's a God who loves all of you, and He loves you deeply. He knows everything about you and desires you, and He wants you to place your faith in Him. So, that's what I've prepared. Um, I'm going to pray, and if you want to pray through whatever you're going through in life, um, whether that's sin or for anybody that you know that might be going through anything, uh, I think now would be the appropriate time to do that, just to sit and pray for whoever might be in your life that might be going through struggles, or even yourself. Um, just pray that God will intervene on that. And if you guys have any questions for me, I'd love to talk after service. Um, but for now, I'm going to pray, and then we'll go from there. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it says. I just pray that we, we can see what it says and that we can really apply that to our life. Are we really living a life that's slave to sin or are we really living a life that's a slave to you? Because we only get to live one of those and there's no other way we can live. God, I pray that if we are living a life filled with sin that you intervene on that and that you give us the grace that we need. You fill us up and give us the joy to live this life when we are persecuted, when times are hard, when sickness and illness plagues our life, God, I just pray that you, you intervene and that you give us hope that's in you since you died on the cross and rose again for us. God, you are so good. And I just pray that we can really evaluate ourselves without bias, that we can really look into our hearts and say, how am I living this life? Am I living it for what I choose to do and what I desire? Or is it really what you have for us? Is it really the call that you've given us on our life? God, thank you for that. I pray for this time that there will be healing and there will be joy. Because joy only can come from you. And I pray that in your name. Amen. traveling has brought me to your fountain and all I want is to come and drink my fill and all I want is to come and drink my fill my heart your home this life belongs to you So oh.
Heavenly Father, I pray that we will daily turn our hearts over to you. That we will seek to find satisfaction in you and who you are. And to let the things of the world, the things that distract us, the temptations that get in the way, be removed by just the reminder of your incredible grace. Father, I pray that we will enslave ourselves to you. So that we're doing your work doing your will in the middle of the things that you've called us to. Father, bless this day. I pray that we will leave and reflect on what you've shown us today. And God, use us as we go. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have a great day, everybody. God bless you.